Welcome to the Progressatorium, conversations about innovation in higher music education. I'm your host, Susan Eldridge. In this episode, Andrea Kalin shares her commitment to change as a process and not as an outcome. She knows that our graduates are entering careers that are more uncertain than ever, and she's building a culture within her school of continuous improvement that balances the future needs of their graduates, embracing emerging opportunities and a set of clear organisational values. By embracing change, Andrea is able to ask, what is the work? Which is a question more pertinent to our leadership teams now than at any time in recent history. So as she continually clarifies what is the work, she's able to communicate this and rally her school community around their shared mission. Enjoy this conversation with Andrea Kalin. Welcome to the Progressatorium. I'm your host, Susan Eldridge, yeah, yeah. and I'm delighted to be joined this morning by Andrea Kalin, who's the president of the New England Conservatory of Music. Andrea, welcome. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much, Susan. I'm delighted to be here. Um, can you give us a little bit of a snapshot? We've been recording these podcasts with uh, music leaders for a couple of weeks now. When we started, the focus on, the, on asking where everybody was was really about in response to the pandemic. But talking to you in the middle of, the, of June, we're seeing this tremendous uprising about um, Black Lives Matter and about um, uh, white privilege in the US. So can you just give us a bit of a snapshot of what's, where you are right now? Where is NEC right now in the pool? Uh, yeah, in the midst of change, I guess I would say. Um, I, so I've, you know, I've heard other people talk about this as we have two pandemics that are happening at the same time. And um, I think there's very much that feel. Um, one has been going on for, for hundreds of years. So uh, perhaps time to, to deal with that. Um, but it's, it really, you know, from my perspective, it, it, it comes back to a same sort of question in terms of how we do our work which is why we do our work, um, you know, sort of what is the point of a conservatory? What's the point of music in the world? Um, we talk about music as being important and powerful. Um, and the question is always a sort of so what question, you know, why? Um, and why should anybody care? And so, um, and then what does that, how does that translate onto um, how we do our work and what is in our work? And so I think, I think whether it's, you know, that, that question was very much a real question at the beginning of COVID. Uh, you know, we send all of our students home, all of our faculty home, which was uh, an unthinkable thing to go online um, uh, in March. Not sure what the future was going to look like. Certainly wasn't expecting it to be this, I think, um, uh, quite. And, um, and, you know, there's a moment when you do that, when you stop to think sort of, so in this context, when, you know, people are dying, why does this matter, right? And you have to be able to answer that. I think every musician has to be able to answer the why of what they do. Um, fast forward, uh, people are dying, right? Uh, for, um, in terms of uh, racial injustice and, and inequity in the world and in the States. Um, and the question is why? why does it matter and what is our role then and um and what does our work look like as a result of that so i think it's it's the same question uh, pressed very urgently so we're you know middle of june we are in a state of change rapid change and we are in a state of urgency to kind of call the question right 
um, and then to to do something about it. Not a choice, I would say. And where does the, where this, this change that's been thrust upon all of us in the last three three months has that aligned with um, the strategic priorities of the school, or has it forced a reassessment of those things? Well, well once you're always in a moment of reassessment, but I would say for us the the most beneficial moment, and I found great optimism in the fact that since I've been at NEC, which is just just over a year, well, a year and a half now, I guess, almost, um, uh, we started strategic planning a year ago, really thinking about that, and um, we had uh, a board retreat sort of two weeks before we sent everybody home uh, that was really thinking about sort of confirming those strategic priorities, and we've been working with with faculty and so on um, throughout the year. And uh, the priorities are very much, you know, the things that are important to us are very much of this moment. So this has been an opera. We knew where we wanted to go. Um, I think the thinking was very much um, consistent on all fronts um, with where we've had to go with the pandemic and where, we've, uh, where we have to go um, with racial equity. And, and in fact, all, uh, you know, sort of a, creating a sense of belonging um, and attachment to music. And so that's, that's an advantage. We've done a lot of that sort of thinking. Um, so in many ways, this represents, the, the urgency works for us in the sense that it represents an opportunity we can seize, should we choose to, which is to, um, you know, to push the agenda faster. So the, the, we have really four priorities. Um, they're not rocket science. But they're, uh, but they're ours. Um, uh, you know, one was to really think about creating a, a connected student experience, right? A really whole student experience, moving away from the checklist into a kind of Venn diagram approach. Um, uh, and so a connected, flexible, you know, um, integrated student, exteri student experience. Uh, and student experience, not just curriculum. Our students do a lot of things outside of the curriculum. And that, that that's a big part of their education and their preparation for their professional lives beyond. You know, the second was social cultural relevance. How does music live in the world? How should it live in the world? How does it engage a world? How do we engage a world? How does it reflect the world? Lots of work to be done on that. It's a big, big topic. Um, the, and those two are obviously very related. Um, the third is technology. How do we think about technology as both a tool, of, you know, sort of infrastructure and an opportunity? Um, and how does that align with those other two, uh, two priorities? And then the, the fourth is the same one that every arts organization, I think, is, uh, faces, and that is financial sustainability. How do we rethink the model? Um, and financial sustainability has two sides. You know, one um, inherent in the notion of financial sustainability is how is it as an institution, how is that also sustainable for students? And so how do we rethink the educational model in a financial way? Um, so those are the things that we've been thinking about um, and sort of again, in, inherent in all of this through that is sort of why, um, and then uh, the why impacts the what, and then, um, then the question is how, right? And so, it's, it's, so I think that the pandemic, uh, COVID um, has, really informed our thinking on those fronts and created opportunities and urgency on others. Um, and I think, um, you know, uh, justice <laughs> has also done the same thing. So. Mm -hmm. And I, I think what I've noticed from um, in the last couple of weeks, looking at 
you know, we talked before we, we sort of came on air together about the communications piece and you were talking about how that's really all that you're doing right now is is um, communicating the, the communicating around the strategy and the decision and the priorities of the school right now and as that's changing and evolving um, with the socio socio geographic and the other challenges that are coming your way um, but what I'm seeing on a lot of on, on a lot of the websites of schools of music is the schools who who are asking and very clear about this we must we must uh, we must be clear about what we're doing and who we're doing it for and who are embracing this as an opportunity to say this is a 10x for us to get to where we thought we was going to take us 10 years to get to and then the schools right. of music who are gripping on for dear life to the way things used to be and refuse almost refusing to acknowledge what's going on that we can't ignore on the news feeds or like very little commentary around well actually our work matters now more than ever for these reasons and therefore the way we the way the student experience has to evolve has to equip our students to live in this world of uncertainty and to be able to navigate change because that's the only consistency that's going to be in their professional lives is inconsistency uh, so if we're just right. if we're stuck in this rigid model of and and also um, the language that some of the schools are using around grief it's it's almost like grief language around the loss of the thing that they used to hold very dear and not so much around well actually this is an opportunity for us to, to embrace embrace the 21st century and really look at a model economically and pedagogically that's going to sustain us for the next 100 years so it's been really interesting looking at the language and the tone that's coming out of all the different schools particularly across north america right now off that you're in a very different pandemic situation than we are here in Australia. We're, we're starting to return um, and that's not going to be the case for you come your new school year. So it's um, really interesting to be reading the stories that schools are telling about where they're going right now and whether they're um, looking backwards or looking forwards because they're, they're the only two choices that we're faced with right now. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the thing is, that's not different, right? And it's not actually different than it should always be. Um, you know, we are, we are in the futures business as teachers. That's what we do. We're always teaching for the future, um, which means we always need to be thinking about how we prepare our students for a world that we didn't live in necessarily, right? I mean, and the trick of the education is always that you have to prepare students for the world that exists, the, art, the arts world that exists now, and the arts world that they will create. You have to do both. This situation, like the broad this, right? Everything that's going on. I think everybody is challenging all of the current. And so um, both out of necessity um, and out of sort of awakening. Um, and you know, the, the pandemic forced us into a mode where we don't have a choice, you know. Uh, let's look at sort of the notion of a digital education, digital school is very difficult for many educational institutions. Anyway, we value the in-person really hard for a music school, you know, because of, because of the, um, the limitations. <laughs> Sorry. Because of the limitations. Life just happened outside. Um, and outside. Um, but because of the limitations of being able to perform well together, right? The technology is not quite where our heads are. 
Um, and also, you know, music is a collaborative sport, right? It's, it's a thing where we really do count on being together. Communication, performance is connection, it's communication, it's all of that. And I think the pandemic forced us to realize that. And so there is a very, the abruptness of it and the starkness of it and the ambiguity of the future, I think did create a very great sense of loss for people. And actually I will say, perhaps greatest from my perspective for our students, um, because they, you know, they hadn't lived through any of that sort of drastic change um, before. It was a blow to all of us, but I think it was very stark for them. Um, but it's forced us to rethink how do you, okay, so we can do that in an emergency moment, but in an ongoing way, the digital world is part of our world and it is an opportunity to address many of these things in terms of access or reach and, and broader communication and understanding and listening and all of those things. How can we do that in a way, even in, with an imperfect technology, how do we advance that um, and start to think about that differently? So as a so from a very practical point of view, online is now a stage we need to teach our students to perform on. And it is a different stage than Jordan Hall or you know, a house concert or whatever. It's a different stage. It's, it's got a different audience. It's a different opportunity for connection with that audience. It will require different um, repertoire and curation. Um, it will require different timing structures. You know, I mean, all of these sorts of things, like very basic things that we do, um, but it is nonetheless as a real stage and we need to think about not how we take what we do on the Jordan Hall stage and put it onto online, uh, but rather how we take full advantage of that stage, how we create a transformative experience on that stage, how we connect with people in a way that's right for that. That's practically something we now have to teach our students. Um, but it's the same thing with um, curriculum and it's the same thing with just everything that we do again is sort of what how why should people care and how are we preparing our students professionally in their sensibilities and in their skills uh musical and and you know ancillary support skills um to to create that music in a world that is changing and has been changing you know and most of music history was about at least most of it about the moment, uh, not about, you know, dragging the past along. There's great beauty in the past and there we shouldn't be, I don't think we should be afraid of those things. Um, and we should honor that and, and incorporate that, but I don't think we should be afraid of the future or the present either. Um, art is messy, you know, and it will evolve and evolution is not rejection, it's growth. So why do you see the, um, the where is the barrier then, for, if, if we're talking about um, this opportunity that, the, that art has always been about change and about speaking to the moment in which we share this connection together, why is there so much, um, maybe resistance is quite not the right word, but why is there so much uh, inaction around changing the model? I uh, think it's a, a couple of reasons. Uh, one is fear, um, right? There are structures and systems and things. And also, even for a school to sort of create change, I mean, I, I feel this as well, it's being able to communicate that in a way that people have confidence in. It's hard for people to develop confidence in what they don't know. And it's very, it's much safer to have confidence in something tried and true. 
Um, so, you know, uh, so I think there's, there's fear because um, the unknown is ambiguous and one doesn't know where one fits into that. Right? Mm -hmm. um, it's hard, it's amorphous in the sense that it's hard to, um, to understand what you can grab onto and what it's gonna, it's hard to understand. Mm -hmm. uh, and hence it's hard to understand your role in it and whether you should trust it, I think. Um, and, um, and third, because, uh, because it's thorny, you know, the notion of a wicked problem where you mm -hmm. pull at one thread and the whole thing falls apart, like chicken, what can you tackle first? You know, it's, I, I hesitate to say this out loud, but I guess I will. Um, I, I have often thought in my head, it's like, gee, if I could just send everybody home for six months and we could sort of put this back together, that would be great. I am regretting ever thinking that it's not easy to do when you send everybody home. It's not any easier to do than it's harder because you can't have the conversation. But, but there is that moment, sort of which thread do you pull first? And, mm -hmm. uh, and how do you, so what I've come down to is, um, it's like, how do you create a culture um, and a, a mode, a way of being? Uh, doing your work um, that is reflective of what we do every day as musicians. Every day, musicians, you know, you can call it whatever you want, whatever person you can call it entrepreneurial, you can call it, you know, whatever you want to call it, practice. But every day we have this sort of ideal or thought, ideal or idea in our heads. And we work through a very specific process and a lot of failure and a lot of tried things that go wrong to create that. And then we share it at the end. Our work should be reflective of that same kind of willingness to practice, to try things. No performance is the, the reason we go to hear people perform and the reason we listen um, is because each performance is going to be different. It's necessarily going to be different. If it wasn't, we, you know, if, if it wasn't that, we would just listen to whatever, whoever played what first and that'd be it. Um, and so it's that we, we have that built in, but we don't have it built into the way we do our work uh, necessarily like we do that our musical work but we then build these structures around it that kind of protect that um, and I think also change gets often pitted against excellence and mm. against quality and so there's this notion that if we mess with this in any way we're going to compromise the quality quality and excellence is a commitment it's a priority it's a habit you know that's just that's the starting point. It's the foundation that, you know, you can't do anything interesting without it, but it isn't a stopping point. And I think we're so protective of it as if it will go and it, and it will go away if we're not, if we don't keep it in mind, but it's not the ending point. It's the beginning to impact, right? It, it's only as good as the impact it has. Excellence is not a precious thing that we put on a shelf. It's only as good as the impact that it has on real people in the world. Um, and the impact, I, I think we're not so good at listening to what the impact is. You know, we, we want to have impact, but it can't be spewing. It's got to be a two-way communication mm -hmm. street. Mm -hmm. So how, do, how does our music and how does, uh, how does the art that we create um, and recreate and transmit, how does that affect the people that we're giving it to, that we're sharing it with? And how does that cycle back then into how we do our work? And then, you know, it's listening. It's cyclical. It's it's circular listening, right? One of the um, just on on two of the points you raised there. One of one of the points about excellence is that the 
within the traditional model, we're really showcasing and um, celebrating such a limited range of excellence. It's really about technical proficiency on an instrument or if the instrument is the voice. Um, and I think we would, we're really doing our um, parent students a disservice by not being very honest with them about the range of excellence that can come out of a music degree to include all the people who are behind the scenes in, in the arts in all sorts of ways who are excellent educators and in fact those who've also chosen to go be excellent through their musical training somewhere else. They become barristers Absolutely. or doctors. And so um, this notion of excellence, the, I'm taking everything that uh, I've learned through my music education and I'm being excellent at this thing that I'm choosing to do now. And that's a message that's really not um, spoken about with our students. And certainly it's not spoken about in our um, the way we, we deal with our pipeline of incoming students. Again, um, in a traditional model, there's a, a, a photograph of a person playing a cello in a tuxedo on the front cover. Um, so, you know, we're signalling a very narrow band of excellence instead of excellence is actually a process and um, it, yeah. it's a commitment. It's, it's, a, it's a way for you to, um, to figure out how you're going to amplify your artistry and be excellent at whatever it is that is, that is joyful and um, it's going to be your path in life. Um, and you, you, um, yeah, I just think this, this notion of excellence is stuck in a little bit of a box right now and it would be great if we were, yeah. we were able to expand that out in lots of different ways. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree entirely. It's um, the process part of it, right, is the thing. It's sort of mm -hmm. excellence is not the goal. Mm -hmm. Excellence is the starting point and impact is the goal. Mm -hmm. um, and excellence is sort of the way you get there. I mean, it's, look, nobody's going to be trans you don't have a transcendent moment with something bad like you know a, a awful music making it's not a transcendent moment you know it has its place like you know people can have joy well no i mean people have people can play badly together and have a wonderful time and that's great but that's a different thing and that's not what we particularly do because we have the very great fortune to get to work with uh, students and faculty who are extremely good at what they do right and so we get to do it at this at this level um but but there's no danger that the people that we are working with are going to seek to do this badly right mm -hmm. <laughs> they're not mm -hmm. going to want to do it badly because it's not in them so the question is what are we going to do with that and mm -hmm. how do we how do we take that and and i agree with you it's it's um excellence is a process you know we've we so I think people have this notion, and, and students do sometimes, faculty do, and actually faculty less, I think, than other people. I think parents sometimes do. Um, I think generally society does, but there is no school that I'm aware of where you go to that school and you have one outcome, and if you don't, you know, if you aren't that thing when you come out, then you've failed, and you're a complete, you know, disaster. Um, I can imagine, you know, so that's a very vocational sort of approach to things. If you come out of music school um, unable to do certain things, then yeah, I think we fail. Like if we haven't taught you basic mm -hmm. skills, right? You know, that, then, then yeah, okay, we consider that failure. But we don't, pre, we don't predetermine what our students are going to do with their education. We don't do it with any education. And it is an education, right? It's, it's a professional training. It's, you know, I think a big part of our task, and I think this changes then how we approach how we do our work and what is in our work, um, 
is uh, to help our students find their own individual authentic voice. Um, that may be an artistic voice, it may be a purpose. It's really a purpose, right? Their own authentic individual purpose. You have these abilities, these skills, and this passion, right? We're going to help you develop those. A part of that, our task as an educational institution, and we haven't done this well, I will say, but we need to be doing this, and we're thinking a lot about this, is um, I'm putting some things in place to do it, is how do you, uh, how, like, what are you going to do with that? What does, and that will change, right? That will change over a long life. I certainly never expected to be doing what I'm doing now. That was not the plan at all. Um, I'm sure you are in the same thing. I mean, you know, life, you follow your interests and you end up in places you could, can't imagine mm -hmm. when you're 18. And, um, and so how do we prepare our students for a life of fulfilling art? You said joy, you know, joyful work. Joyful, meaningful, authentic, purposeful work. Sustainable. That's your thing. Sustainable. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But if you, if the why, again, I mean, if the why is there, if you know why you're doing something and it is true and authentic and important to you, you will find a way, like you will figure out the how, right? Um, and we need to prepare our students to um, not be so attached to what it looks like now because it won't look the same. I remember in my undergrad days, way back in the day in Canada, I remember very clearly um, a moment where it was right, right before graduation, a moment where there were a lot of similar sorts of conversations, you know, about, oh, the music world is changing, the audience is graying, oh dear. Oh, we've, by the way, we've just trained you for a world that doesn't exist. Good luck, you know. I remember thinking, like, you know, all right, what now? But, but you, you go forward and the world goes forward. And now we're at a point, we're at a real inflection point. There are moments where things speed up and where, you know, the Virginia Woolf quote, honor about this day, the world changed. And we've had a couple of those uh, in very close proximity. So now the question is, so, so what, how are we going to engage this moment to, to do exactly what you said before, which is accelerate the change. It's, it's where we all knew we needed to go. It's where many of us want to go anyway. And now we have actually, there's urgency to get there. Mm -hmm. uh, we won't get there intact and we're not getting there as a, as a complete unit and finished. But what we are is I think moving into an accelerated process of constant change. Uh, and we, we need to sort of get ourselves out of the fear of that. And also um, with that, as you say, comes this notion of embracing all the outcomes. Our students need to find the ways in which they contribute to the ensemble um, and hone you know, those skills and the ways that are meaningful and fulfilling and important to them. And we need to um, celebrate that and honor mm -hmm. that. And there's, there's two really uh, distinctive programs that NEC offers to help their students. Number one, ask themselves, why should anybody care about my work? Um, and what does success look like for me? And that's the entrepreneurial musician program you have. And the other feeds into this, um, the, the huge issue of, of the impact, we must be for someone. And that's, that, that experience is offered to students through the um, community partnerships program that you've had for many years. Can you just tell us a little bit about those two programs? Because there's such 
it's such an important part of the student journey at NEC. And it's, it's, it's when I came and I visited a couple of years ago, I was just staggered by the, it, every student participates in these two extracurricular programs. It's, an, it's just, it's an unspoken expectation, but one um, that's so important to, to, to the NEC journey. So can you tell us a little bit about those two programs? Yeah, I will say not every student participates, but we want every student to participate, <laughs> and they will, and they will, whether they know it or not, next year, so that's okay. Um, no, these are two really, really terrific programs. Um, I guess if you think they, they live under one umbrella called SEATS, uh, lofty name, uh, uh, continuing educate, no, it's, uh, I can't even remember what SEATS stood for, <laughs> community engagement and professional studies, sorry. Um, and so they live under this umbrella and we're adding uh, wellness musicians like or so music and wellness, mm -hmm. music and health and wellness Fantastic. sort of into that, uh, both in an internal way and an external way. So that's sort of into that whole thing. Um, the entrepreneurship really is about, I suppose, at its uh, core kind of audience engagement. It's that sort of how do you go into the world? How do you actively engage an audience, how do you prepare for that? How are you a professional in the world? Whatever you're going to do. And we offer a range of grants. Um, there are course, there's a, there, there is a course that every student takes in the third year. We are actually moving that uh, forward and embedding that into a first year experience seminar that we're uh, mm -hmm. just, in, we're, that we're just uh, launching this fall. Um, and uh, because we need to get them doing that earlier. Um, and uh, so, so there's that. So it's really about you know professionalism in the world. So grant programs, um, seminars on things, you know, panels on things like how how you think about practice, um, you know, um, placements and internships, developing your own projects, um, just quite, again sort of professional good. contacts with. Yeah, it's pretty comprehensive and yeah. quite a good quite a good. Um, a uh, lot of conversation around money in a good way around yes. personal finance, Absolutely. professional budgeting, um, really key, key, key component all of, of all of this is uh, through the programming is um, what does, how do you determine what success looks like for you and what is the economic engine that allows you to do that? So it's so, right. I was so impressed with the, just the, um, the very casual nature of all of the discussions around musicians and money that went on because it's not That's something right. that happens, yeah. happens enough. Right. How do you think about taxes? I mean, all that yep. basic stuff that you need to know, right? That we just, that we don't, we assume you'll figure out later on. We need <laughs> to teach you on front. In fact, we have a course going on right now over the summer. One of our, um, our faculty members is teaching uh, on uh, really like music in the time of COVID and it engages, you know, lofty sort of, you know, philosophical uh, approaches um, as well as very pragmatic things. What happens? to freelancers in this world, mm -hmm. right? When performing arts organizations, what, um, how do all the structures sort of fall apart and how might we think about those differently? So it's kind of that comprehensive package. Community partnerships is sort of the flip side of that. And that is about the service. So to how does music live in the community in a service way, in a way that um, uh, meets um, or tries to the needs of, of, of a community around us, whatever that community is. So that's um, teaching artistry, uh, it's uh, music and healing spaces, creative aging, um, uh, you know, just all of that sort of thing. Um, so it's very, very outward facing and very of the uh, getting our students to really think about, think about their audience in a service capacity, right? How do we use music um, 
to help and to reach. Um, and that every student that I've spoken with who's gone through that uh, speaks about that as, as truly transformative mm. um, part of their education. It got them thinking in a different way. And it, of course, that affects everything that they do. Um, and so that's an incredibly powerful program. We are trying to, those, those live in their very specific programs and they need to have that. We are actually trying to use this moment um, and it's an ongoing ambition to kind of build those in, suffuse those throughout the curriculum more generally so that um, you can engage them as discrete things, but that they're, that they're embedded into everything that you do. Again, um, you know, if we think our traditional approach to curriculum is we have this list of things you have to do and then we think, oh yeah, now to be relevant, you need to know X. And so we're gonna add on to the checklist and the checklist gets mm -hmm. very, very long. Um, and it's hard for students, I think, sometimes to see both the, the opportunity to get into those things and also um, the connection amongst them. So we're really trying to think about how do we create, again, this sort of Venn diagram approach where you bring those things in um, as they are relevant to that work and it's all relevant. So we have a course that will be starting next year that, so the first year experience will have um, all of this kind of bits of this embedded in along the way to get to, to sort of whet the appetite and get students sort of aware. Um, we have an ensemble and there are a number of these that already exist and we're launching another ensemble that will um, basically is kind of a 360 approach where students think about creation, curation, um, programming, uh, venue, audience engagement, production, again, so that you build funding, like all of those, so marketing, so you build all of those elements into the experience, so that again, our students are practicing those. The idea behind EM and CPP is the notion of students need to be practicing this while they are students, right alongside their craft, so that when they come out, it's they get to move to the next level. You will mm -hmm. always be practicing it. So we need to be practicing. It's part of what you need to practice. Mm -hmm. so. And it's also the, the thing that, that I have um, observed in the, the program that I used to run in the School of Music here was what the students need as much as the practice is they need the feedback while they're with us. Because what happens exactly. when, they get, when, they, when they leave us is they put a grant application in and they were one of... 257 grant applications and they just got to know you were unsuccessful and there was no feedback about how to improve their skills because that's not the way it works in a professional environment so if they're having the opportunity to be doing these things while they're with us and um, failing in a way where they've got care and support exactly. around them and, and for um, the faculty to say look that happened to me the first time I tried to put on a concert you know first time I put on a concert for my string quartet there were more musicians than there were people in the audience <laughs> um, so an opportunity for them to um, be supported through failure to, to build their resilience while they're with us um, to hear stories Absolutely. to know that that's common and to be getting feedback on all of these, um, the professional collateral that they have to submit throughout their career so that it's not a surprise for them when they, so what the stuff they're submitting when they leave is version three or four or five or six or seven That's of this right. material, it's not version one. That's right. I mean, we don't stick people on the stage, you know, on Carnegie Hall stage without a whole lot of failure beforehand, mm -hmm. right? And, <laughs> and getting it right. And how, well, we don't, you know, and it's the same thing. They failure, you know, is just part of growing. It's taking a risk, calculating risk, figuring it out, figuring out what you've got wrong, analyzing again. It's that whole musical process. We just have to do it with everything around the performance as well as the performance itself. 
So yeah, couldn't agree more. Well, and one of the things I've noticed um, that I've been pondering on lately is this talking about connection with our audience. And that doesn't matter if you're pitching to a producer to, to take your show on tour or you're, you're pitching for a scholarship or um, you're performing to an audience in a, in a concert format is that where when you go to the theater, the actors are not walking around holding the script in between their face and your face. But that's actually what we're doing in our art form is we're putting an A4 barrier between the audience and us. And it, it, it means it's unable to be a connection. And so that's something I've been pondering is this, this notion of um, improvisation and memorization and how requiring our students to do both of those things would allow them to be much better connected to the audience and might actually reduce some of this... Um, I see, we see it so often, young performers particularly, uh, they're dealing with their performance anxiety by pretending the audience is not there, uh, which, which is unhelpful to everybody, um, by just by having, you know, this, this, they're having an internalised A4 experience at the moment. So how do we help them by simply making, as part of their recitals, um, a requirement that 75% of it must be memorised? Uh, there's, yeah. There's a, yeah, there's a lot of real, I mean, that would be an easy fix, an easy thing to change. Um, there's a really amazing book uh, by, he was the, the head of theatre at Northwestern University, Bud Byer is his name, um, and he was a mime artist by training and ended up working with musicians and then spent the last part of his career working with conductors. And he wrote a phenomenal book called Completing the Circle. Uh, and it's really particularly, like I'm a, I'm a horn player, so unlike, say, a piano player who can express with all of their face, I've only got from the eyebrows up, which is often what, what mine is as well. And so it's a really fantastic, um, all of his teaching exercises are in there and it's a really, would, would be a really elegant, simple way to start to include some of this um, thinking in, into the way we're going to change the, the way we prepare our musicians. And also when you were talking about the community, the community partnerships program, I wondered if... A lot of you said that the, the students talk about how transformative that experience was when they're playing in a kindergarten setting or they're playing in an in a aged care home or a library. I wonder if a lot of that time they're not glued to the page in the way they are in a traditional concert. And so I wonder if that's that what the experience they're having is actually they've finally made a connection because they've removed the barrier of the music stand and the printed music. And that's finally maybe for some of them for the very first time allowing them to truly connect and be vulnerable in the moment with music so that's why these programs um service-based community teaching artist programs are so so important yeah i think they really are I mean, you see immediately the impact right i mean you see people responding to what you're doing and that um that can be boying or terrifying right <laughs> depending on the depending on the result but um but certainly informative and, and certainly, you know, can create these moments. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the, there's such a fear of not being perfect, right? Um, mm -hmm. And um, ex I'm, this is going to be heretical, but I don't think excellence is perfection. You know, there's great art that isn't perfect in a pristine sort of way. It's the imperfections where it's not even... It, imperfections it's the it's the nuance where humanity comes through um and also performance lives in a moment you know the i mean everybody who records knows that's a great 
entirely different set of pressure because it's not living in a moment. It's, it's captured. Mm -hmm. Same thing with writing. There's a whole different standard when you write something because it has to live across time and space. And so the sort of um, need for perfection, you know, the, the scrutiny is different, right? The level of scrutiny is different. But performance is a very lovely moment that you're creating for between a group or amongst a group of people. And, um, and so giving some breath and freedom to that, you know, it's, it's, it's the breath and it's the moment, it's the, the work of the moment and the freedom that comes from that, which is, uh, is what makes it mm. a transcendent experience, which makes, makes it so powerful, right? It's a reason people go to live performance. So I think you're right. It's something we, we need to talk with our students about and, and find ways to help them uh, get out of that, mm. get out of the cage. And yeah. I think also if we, you know, uh, there's, um, there's precedent in other art forms where student assessment of their final folio includes audience feedback. It happens in fine arts when they have to do um, a gallery showing and it happens in dance. So wouldn't it be great if part of our assessment model for performance was the audience communicating back to the performer how, how they felt? That would get us that because that would get us away from perfection, maintaining artistic excellence and integrity, but with a focus on well, how how will we both right. transform? So that yeah, there's precedent in other art forms for doing that. Yeah, it's a really interesting idea, and it gets to the notion I think of a portfolio approach, right? Mm -hmm. Which is I think very important, which includes also has space for. Um, for the student's reflection, you know, what what are you trying to achieve mm -hmm. and, and how are you going to get there? Um, and, you know, this happens in the studio on an individualized basis all the time. You know, though it's interesting for as, for as rigid as our, um, in some ways as rigid as our curriculum, curricula are, um, actually what happens in the studio is not because people are dealing with individuals. And so, I mean, I, you know, the, the most rigid people one might imagine are actually not when you, you know, because they know that they're working with the particular strengths and personalities and inclinations and capacities um, and values and goals of a particular person. And they will, I've, you know, I've yet to meet a, a brilliant faculty, you know, studio faculty member who doesn't work with the individual. Um, we just need to make that sort of go beyond and signal to the students that that's, that that's the approach. And so, um, so a, a kind of portfolio assessment, I think is an interesting, is an interesting concept because, um, you know, it matters. There are all sorts of points of um, information and assessment that, that matter, that, that are helpful to you. The point mm -hmm. of the assessment is to help our students grow, you know, reach a certain level, but grow mm -hmm. um, in a way that, that will sustain them throughout the course of their lives, that they can become their own teachers and, and their also, own assessors, and, right? And so. Absolutely, and also be included in not only about the why are we requiring this of you, but what will happen if we don't, if you don't know how to do this. And I think that's maybe what happens, yeah. um, what some of the, where, where some of the programming around um, sort of entrepreneurship that's been put into first year subjects within music schools has fallen over is the students, if there's no context, no context around well, you That's need right. to know how to do this because like in Australia we have eight full-time orchestras so if you play the tuba a job comes up every 20 years 
Um, so this is the reason why you need to know how to build a brand for yourself and your audience and how to think about okay. running a teaching studio. Um, okay. So it's not, so it's contextualizing the what will, if, and if you don't know how to do this, you're going to struggle when you leave. So I think that that, that element is maybe sometimes a little bit missing uh, because we want you to be, as you've spoken about, you need to be relevant, able to make a connection with the audience, um, financially sustainable, all, all the things that we need yeah. to do. No, all of those things. Right. But I think also that gets to, uh, I think it's, it's setting the mindset really at the beginning because the trick, so again, doing it as a separate thing, you know, has a particular students yeah. see it as, oh, you're giving me, this is the safety net, yeah, you know, yeah. this is what I need if I'm, or I, I actually spoke with an alum when I first uh, came to NEC, I did the sort of listening tour with like, anybody who would talk to me, sort of listening, and an alum said something that was really, it's really stuck in my mind. She said, yeah, I said, it was a really great program, said, but I always wondered about the title, you know, saying entrepreneurial musicians suggests that there's such a thing as a non-entrepreneurial musician. Right, it sort of like sets up this this thing, and and I think the way and and it's just the, um, you know, there's there's a there were you know we needed to put these programs in, and so we get this. So we've been talking about like, okay, so what what is the right yeah. thing for this? Yeah. And how do you talk about it as being? It's just the mindset of being a musician, right? Um, um, and Claire Chase has spoken about this advice too. It's sort of like it's not it's not being entrepreneurial, it's just being a musician. Mm. You know, it's sort of like how, so how do we, that's the kind of tone you want to set at the beginning. It's like, look, you have these artistic aspirations. Um, you're going to need a lot of different tools to realize them. You're going to need artistic skills, technical skills. Um, you're going to have to have something to say. So you need some intellectual skills and, you know, depth. Um, and you need some practical things in order to figure out how you're mm. going to transmit those. It's just part of your toolkit. It's not a separate thing. It's not the safety net if you fail. It's just one more tool, like, mm. you know, like a scale is. Nobody goes around playing scales, you know, as a thing, but it's a means to an end. It's just one more technical, you know, element in one quiver in your whatever, bow in your quiver, whatever, arrow in your quiver. Um, bad analogies, all screwed up. But um, uh, so, yeah, so I think it's, it's, all right. Uh, so it's setting it's setting that mindset and making it part of this is just part of how your music will live, how you get your music into the world, how mm -hmm. your music will live in the world. It's more tools and it needs to be embedded in everything that you do, not separated as much. There's a and moment where you want to dig, dig deep and you're going to go into it, um, but it's it needs to be part of everybody's thinking. Uh, and I think maybe maybe. Um and what you were alluding to there, what Claire was alluding to, it's this difference between being responsible for yourself or expecting someone else to do that for you. So maybe yeah, maybe that's, it, right. that, that's kind of the umbrella it sits under is that um, there isn't anyone to be responsible for us anymore. There used to be perhaps, you know, 80, 90 years ago when the supply and demand curve matched. Um, but it, it's not about that anymore. This is about helping, helping you to be an artist that can make your own way in the world. Um, so Andrea, I know, um, thank you so much for your time. I'd just love quickly to, you've been at NEC now for just over about 14 months, is that correct? Just over a year? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, where, where do you want, where do you want to see the school being um, in five years time? <laughs> well, my contract runs out before then, so we'll see. <laughs> you'll be you'll be looking at it from a beach somewhere. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Right. There's a 
there's a thought. <laughs> um, I want this. I want the school to have a uh, to be in a place where it's relevant in that moment, powerful and relevant. Um, you know, so it's so specifically what it looks like. I don't. I I don't really know, but I want it to be in a. I want it to be comfortable with evolution and development. I want it to be living the process of musical making, of constantly rethinking, of, of trying something out, comfortable with practicing, trying something out, comfortable with failure, um, you know, moving forward, analyze, putting it on the stage, giving it a shot, analyzing what worked and what didn't work and the ways in which it had and didn't and then moving forward i'd like it to be in this kind of you know sort of uh psych evolution um and we're fortunate i mean part of the appeal for nec um for me were a couple of things i mean the the school when i think of the school it's a school of quality it's just it's just it's a school of substance and quality there's no question about that it's also a school that cares deeply about the people and the community. Um, that was actually the first thing everybody told me. Those are two things that I I want to hang on to um, and, and not hurt, right? Those are the things that need to be protected for dear life. But I want to give them freedom. I want the school to be in a place where everybody in the school feels the freedom to, to take those towards impact um, and to try a new thing without that being massively disruptive individually on the ground uh we have unbelievably creative and uh, uh heart sort of driven faculty our faculty do that they actually model this all the time i would like us institutionally to be able to model that as well mm -hmm. um, so that our students our students really are empowered to be thinking about how music lives in the world um, how they are changing and growing and evolving the art form and creating the art form and contributing to our field, um, but also that they're really embracing and comfortable and meaningfully thinking about how they change the world through their artistry as well. And that's just part of the equation. Andrea, what a gift you are to the uh, to the NEC community and to I think there are many people who disagree right about it. No, 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 no. Um, you just the 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 clarity of your vision and the clarity of the ways of being that need to be maintained, but flexibility around the delivery of that to be responsive is really it's really incredible. And um, the school is so lucky to have you. So thank you for all you're doing to shepherd your faculty and your community and your students through the challenges right now in June and um, we hope that you get a chance to get some rest and recovery <laughs> before the start of the school year and uh, we can't wait to watch and see what's going to happen with this new programming that's coming online for you. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much Susan, it's just been a delight to chat with you, really fun, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us for the Progressatorium. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. You can find links to anything we've mentioned in the show notes and if you've enjoyed the conversation and it's been valuable, then help us by please spreading the word and sharing this conversation.